0: Content warning for discussion of BDSM, heroin use, and white supremacy. Hello and welcome back to the Billy Shears Club. In the last part, we talked about Boston by Boston, and now let's talk about the Velvet Underground and the Velvet Underground, and Nico. So, background on the band. kinda started off when a guy named Lou Reed, who was a staff songwriter at Pickwick in the sixties, wrote a song called "The Ostrich," where like they were like, "Hey, that's great." you should make an actual song that it might record it in. So he gathers up a quick band, names it uh, Primitives, I believe. And during this, he meets Welsh comp- composer John Cale. Uh, they have pretty similar interests. like They like rock and pop and also avant-garde stuff of the 60s, so start to work together and form a band. It's first called The Velvets, but would be called The Velvet Underground. Uh, their first drummer, Ang- Angus MacLice, It finds out that they were getting paid after their first gig and declares being compensated for making music as selling out and quits the band. So they end up uh, getting their main lineup with uh, Sterling Morrison and Maureen Tucker. They're playing live shows and doing art film soundtracks in New York in the 60s when they get noticed by Andy Warhol, who sort of brings them into his, you know, big artistic collective. As far as his influence on the group, he has some, like, you know, aesthetic... Who should do this things like uh he picked the banana cover, he set them up with a big white show, and then also uh he paired them up with a German singer named Nico, because he was like, Oh, you guys will work great together. But apparently the band considered her, you know, a little bit of an add-on rather than a true part of the band. And also there was probably tension because Blue Reed was Jewish and Nico was a violent white supremacist. Uh they but on the other hand, for Andy Warhol, to his credit, besides, you know, pairing up Vico with these guys, uh, he was sort of, you know, giving the promotion, and he very much acted as a shield against any executive meddling who would have been like, you know, you should have done this. He just sort of let them play whatever they wanted to. Like, the music was all of them. So, uh, they end up, you know, out this album, and their next album, just called The Velvet Underground, which are both, you know, very raw, kind of experimental, edgy lyrics of, you know, depravity and life being miserable in New York City that, you know, definitely weren't going to fly with, you know, the pop crowd. But also, like, they were a little bit anti-hippie. Like, apparently in one interview, one of them said that they were glad that Woodstock got all muddy and they had to, you know, like, wallow in it because they weren't really into flower power. And also, like, they were weird and experimental, but not in a psychedelic way, so... They had some shows with hippies, but not, not enough to like sustain a career like the doors were. And they ended up like taking a softer direction for albums for their albums after that, but and they would always like change up their sound, but they ended up sort of poisoning the well with those first two. Like during recording for one of their weirder songs on the second album, the recording engineer reportedly said not going to listen to this song. I'm just going to hit record, leave the room, and you guys come get me when you're done. So it was it was that kind of band, and the lack of commercial success actually kind of, became a major source of stress. And the band started to disintegrate pretty quickly. Like after the first album, uh, Andy Warhol and Nico both get kicked out. Uh, after the second album, uh, John Cale, it leaves and is replaced with a multi instrumentalist called Doug Yule. Uh, eventually, Maureen Tucker leaves because she's got a family. And then Charlie Morrison and Lou Reed are both kind of tired of their manager, Steve Sesnick, and, and also just want to do solo careers, so they end up leaving as well. And so by album five, it's just Doug Yule and uh, Sesnick who says, Hey, I want another Velvet Underground record, buddy. And so <laughs> Doug Yule has to make the fifth album. <laughs> One on his own, and it's not really well regarded and at that point, the band uh as far as later on there there have been a few reunions between the members, usually pretty short lived apparently, Kale and Reed made a came together to write some songs tribute to Andy Warhol after his death uh in terms of solo careers, Maureen Tucker mostly stuck to her family and also you know played a few gigs and albums. Charlie Morrison continued playing, but also became like a medieval literature professor and was a tugboat captain. Uh Lou Reed, John Cale, and Nico all had pretty good solo careers. John Lou Reed's the most notable. But he and uh Cale both ended up working with a lot of the people who were very much influenced by Velvet Underground. They are pervasive throughout, you know, all of alternative and indie and basically any weirdos like uh Reed and David Bowie worked together on the walk on the wild side. And also he ended up doing that album with Metallica that people didn't really like. He had a very strange solo career. And then, uh, John Cale ended up producing for the Stooges and, uh, Patti Smith. So usually regarded band, you know, this is their first album, uh, where they, you know, you very much get their sort of one of their many styles. Cause all, like I mentioned, all their Val albums sound very different. Uh, this one basically sort of is, you know, the most famous. You know, it's it's the Banana album. What do you think of it?
1: I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a wonderful experience to to visit this album and check out the sound of the time period. Um, I really like your your way of putting it of being an alternative rock, like kind of edgy. Um, I got a couple, couple different like vibes from the album. And, and one of them being a couple of times when I heard some of the, the speakers kind of being blown out a little bit, it kind of reminded <laughs> me of like an edgy, uh, and hear me out, kind of like an edgy Beatles with like tones of rebellion, um, depression of the time, um, simply in, in the sound, um, because when I, when I think of the Beatles, I think of that like the sound of like the static playing through the microphones and the instruments, and uh, I think that that kind of shows up here. So not to, not certainly not to compare, you know, our our the Velvet Underground plus uh, white supremacist Nico here with with the Beatles, but um, I really I enjoyed it. A couple songs that I really enjoyed were uh, Femme Fatale, Run 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 heroin and I'll be your mirror. I'm curious if you had any any favorites here.
0: Uh my favorites, uh sort depends for me Because like, there's really two sides to the album. There's like the you know, sort of like the dreamy stuff that's you know sort of like lo-fi mamas and the papas. I really like like uh Sunday morning and uh I'll be mir- your mirror, yeah. Uh then of course you get the edgy stuff like Innocent furs and heroin and I'll be the fringe of 60s, 19, uh, of 60s, New York. You know, the, you know, basically drug addicts and people who are just sort of generally lost running around in the city. It's it's very grim, but also they just very posed. I, I don't know if it's, is it sympathetic? You think it's sympathetic?
1: it's is it empathetic
0: or sympathetic empathetic i don't mm,
1: know okay i feel like i think maybe it is i think maybe they're they're speaking on themselves and also the groups that they're a part of at least at the time or the, maybe the people that they saw and i think maybe that's exemplified a little bit in the song heroin where they're towards the, the song kind of like going through these like hills and valleys of like these, these lows of being a little bit slower, which I think are communicated in a way to symbolize being sober. And then when the instrumentals pick up and pick up in pace and volume, and that's when we're supposed to understand that, you know, this is when you're high. Um I think that that exemplifies just like uh, being sympathetic and then the lyrics of um towards the end when you know we're so used to these highs and lows of being sober and being high and then towards the end of the song we don't leave the state of being high where the the instruments and the vocals don't go back down after after increasing in speed and volume Um, during this moment we get some lyrics like um thanking heroin for helping with with people that don't care with politicians that speak too much, and with the quote, the Jim Jims. Um, I think I think it's meant to be sympathetic, right? Yeah, I. It's a it's a weird sort of sympathy where
0: it's, you know, like very. Like aware and doesn't like condemn, but also it's definitely very dark, and you know, not going to like sugarcoat anything, yeah. like. It's basically a lot of the song is about how like heroin will kill you and like heroin is you know, going you, but also heroin is relief like you say from all the stress, being like, like, yes you know it's it's dark it's it's grim but like, they they approach it with like you know blue reeds, bit of nasal speak singing and the. Scratchy via Viola Solo. It's it's out there, but
1: it works. It works beautifully. It's it's beautifully dark. It's it's a yeah. tough song to listen to, but it's it's worth it. It's kind of like that Did you ever see the movie Trainspotting? No, I have not. Tell mm. me about it.
0: Okay, it's 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 a movie about Scottish heroin addicts in the 1990s. Uh I don't have any definitive sources, but according to some people, like it's one of the better depictions of uh, heroin addiction, because much like this song, you know, it's shows why people do it, you know, like the relief, but also how miserable it is, you know, what kind of world it takes to get a heroin addiction and what kind of, you know, why people come to it and how it like destroys you and like, but also never being like, you know, moralizing.
1: you like that. Absolutely. I hear you. I think it's, it's always a nice opportunity to utilize some media that does a, a nice job of depicting our experiences, especially the ones that are more grim than others. It's nice to hear that some people are thinking, well, at least this piece of media does a nice job of depicting what it's like as opposed to you know, another piece that, that doesn't get it, get it right at all. because, yeah, like, since you also
0: mentioned, like, comparing to the Beatles, because, yeah, like, another aspect of them, like, you know, focusing on the darker side is that, like, not a lot of people in the 60s are honestly pretty much in a lot of, you know, very mainstream music are willing to, you know, talk about heroin addiction cuz it's a comfortable one but like it kind of helped open the door for that you know
1: absolutely i mean you think about the era and like yet like you know in this comparison to the beatles it is i think just in in kind of in sound but you know in theme the beatles are talking about wanting to hold your hand at yeah. least in the beginning <laughs> yeah and you know around a similar time we're talking about what it's like to deal with heroin like and uh, all tomorrow's parties, like worrying about like your status and not having anything to wear, which might be a, a relatively shallow view of the of the song, but yeah, I think we're looking at more intense themes with um some some instrumentals that may seem at least somewhat familiar to to audiences at that time, possibly.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it's definitely sort of generally riffing around with a lot of the pop song ideas of the time. Uh, Sunday Morning could be a, I think I mentioned, a Mamas and the Papas song or like a Beatles or a Beach Boys ballad, you know. This could a few of the softer ones. Sun, Run, Run is, you know, more of like sort of a blues rock, you know, Rolling Stones. Type. It's all very, you know, stripped down D.I.Y. and you know, like you had mentioned, there's a lot of feedback and
1: yeah. You know. Yeah, I like your depiction of of Run, Run, Run. I feel like Run, Run, Run belongs in like a late '70s, early '80s movie about like about like Woodstock, yeah. like like when in Forrest Gump when Jenny's like having a difficult time and she's kind of bouncing around from place to place. I feel like it just belongs in like a montage of somebody. Yeah, that's like, a really good... Right?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, yeah, it, like with Ginny, it's also sort of very, you know, yeah, it's, you know, reckless and energetic and, you know, they good.
1: If we want to... I do like your... Er, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, you go ahead. I was going to say, I like your depiction of Sunday morning kind of being like this mom and pop or like Beach Boys ballad. Because um, I feel like it's one of the note times where I noticed a xylophone maybe in the background or like this light chime and I thought yeah, that was an interesting, yeah. Like an interesting, nice way to set a tone.
0: What is it? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a very sweet sounding song. I, I, I had read at one point that like one of the producers managed to get one nicer sounding song out of them. And I'm glad that they started with this one. Cause it would be a little bit miserable to start with. I'm waiting for my man. Cause you know, like, you don't want to start with. Here I go to buy drugs.
1: Like, <laughs> where you want to start? <laughs> it's it's a hard one to it's a hard one to 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 get off of after that, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: but yeah, I and
1: then mean, Morning's really nice hoping. I didn't know that the band went through so much change and so many experiences throughout their their lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah,
0: they're they're an eclectic group. Like, like I mentioned, like they were riffing on the pop styles. But apparently, uh, Venus and Furs, uh, that one was like sort of based on their love of medieval literature and taking, you know, these sort of like steamy love songs of the time, and you know, picking up BDSM song of it, like turning it into this sort of like droning viola ballad. Like, uh, I guess the Beatles sort of, to go back to the Beatles comparison, they did sort of get into this almost get to this territory on uh, the White Album like, like mm. you know, Happiness is a Warm Gun and a couple of the other uh, Revolution number no. 9 now, they do sort of get into that but like, yeah, that's sort of the freak out side of the 60s, I guess
1: Agreed I think that the first thing you hear when you, when you listen to Venus and the in furs is, uh, yeah, that like that viola kind of like screaming or crying a little bit at you. Yeah. And, uh, to learn that, um, we have somebody in the band who's interested in, in teaching medieval literature and being a, <laughs> you see a tugboat captain. Yeah. Yeah. Stealing so Morrison. Stealing Morrison. Like it, it's, it all, it, it makes sense. I'm glad that Stealing Morrison was able to, to express that. <laughs> yeah.
0: did you think as far as like the vocalists like how did you feel
1: comparing Nico and Lou Reed I could appreciate um, Lou Reed's tone I think a little bit more than Nico's although I do appre- I, I think for Nico's appearances on the album I can really appreciate them but it's just I feel like the songs that Lou Reed appeared on um, as as you mentioned earlier like we kind of know now that the band didn't necessarily gel too great with Nico. and So I feel like songs with Lou Reed, I think, just sounded a little bit more complete to me, at least. Um, What are some of your thoughts? Uh, Yeah, they're definitely... Oh, I feel Nico can carry a note,
0: to be quite frank. (laughs) She's like like the actual singer, you know, and she's got that sort of, you know, doic, very... German sounding style to where, you know, he sounds like a, you know, a very strict school marm, but in like a cool way. Mm. And yeah, Lou Reed, he's more of like, you know, he's more of talk singing. He's got like a, I believe the term's like something, something, something German, you know, like a Schneider from the B-52s or Bob Dylan.
1: Yes, good. uh, That's a great comparison.
0: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like you say, I think, I think they end up yeah putting them on very different songs. Like Nico's got more of the ballads, and then, uh, Lou Reed has more of the story songs, and so yeah, that really complements their styles. And also, I I do feel like they have a common vocal style of you know there's you know little tiny imperfections and flaws, or in Lou Reed's case little tiny perfections and good parts <laughs> you know there you know it's it's not ish but there's a amateur quality to it that like makes it endearing you mm. and really fits with the whole
1: wow. absolutely i think that the 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 two distinct voices and the two distinct song types that kind of come from from those voices are really really help to kind of give the the album, like a a sense of variety and a sense of like every song is different, but you're still listening to the velvet underground. You're still listening to the same, the same group. And I think that, that that's a, that's a great plus.
0: How'd you, how'd you feel on like the last couple songs?
1: The The last couple songs. Yeah. Um, I think that I'll be your mirror was really great. I really enjoyed that one. Um the Black Angel's Death Song really threw me for a loop because I feel like I heard those those strings like screaming in the in the first in the kind of like the the beginning half of the song. Um I wasn't sure my thoughts on it. Um I think that the Black Angel's Death Song as well as the European Sun were more about expression um as opposed to maybe communicating a message, or maybe they were. Um, with the European Sun only having two verses and then jumping to an all-out brawl between the instruments to to get yeah. it noted, it kind of sounds like. <laughs> what did it sound like to you? Yeah, that's a very good way to.
0: I would just note real quick that's a very good way to put it for uh, Black Angel, the European Suns. I wasn't I wasn't too sure on them either. Black Angel, Death song, was definitely grim. I, I wasn't sure what it was on about either, but at least it sort of held together. I, I wasn't... I honestly don't really like European Sun just because it was like, you know... Like you say, it turns into a brawl from the, for the instrument. That, I guess that's, you know, the thing for me. Like... I can definitely appreciate the others because, you know, they're rough-edged, but, you know, it's like... Some semblance of order, and when it just devolves into noise, I... I, I I physically convulse when I hear that one first mm. big crash. But like, that's just a reaction.
1: Agreed. That's a good point. It's when I, when I heard that first big crash, I had a difficult time thinking, okay, well, I wonder what message they're trying to communicate. And like, let me continue holding on to like this thought of listening, like, and really paying attention. And I was mostly just thinking like, oh, you just... You just played that in my ears. <laughs> now I'm. Now I feel bad. <laughs> like now I feel weird. I feel like I. I want to squirm, and I just yeah. Um, it makes it hard to continue to pay attention.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. The, the message is John Cale does not
1: like me very much. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they're so as you mentioned. Um, about like just kind of like the the band's like, vibe and their like their attitudes, it it seems like they were just kind of like, like, especially with, like you said, like, like Woodstock being like all money and stuff. And like, I feel like they were so, they may have been, they may not like me saying this, but I feel like they were so hippie that they were anti hippie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that that may have like contributed to them thinking, you know what? I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to make this song where um, we're going to have two verses and then everybody can just go absolutely ballistic for five minutes and there's not going to be a whole lot of organization. Like they just, they kind of had this vibe of, um, I don't care if you like these two songs, this is, this is important to us. And I think that that's just kind of exemplifies their feeling of, of not fitting in maybe.
0: Yeah, definitely like you say it's a it's a very authentic way to end it and i guess authentic doesn't always equal good but at the very least they put it right at the end so then you don't have to listen to it. <laughs> so then you're not like oh gosh what else are they going to put on this album you're like
1: okay it's the closing but at the very least you yeah. know absolutely you can kind of just listen through to i'll be your mirror and be like okay that's the whole album <laughs> they did great and then if you're you're really itching for something really really authentic you can you can explore a little bit further, but I'm with you
0: yeah definitely its yeah there yeah I don't know I feel like archangel death song was still pretty nice and it's unspecific rooting way but yeah, european Sun. i
1: I listened to once understood. It is a song where you you can really only touch on it maybe if you're you're dead set on listening to the entire album in full or if you are craving a sound of chaos and disorganization. <laughs> but authentic. Yeah. If you
0: want to know what people <laughs> New York before the 19 between about 1969 and 1990 apparently uh, from what I've been told. This was the sound.
1: <laughs> this is the sound of what happens in New York City for about twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any any closing thoughts? I know. I just I re- I was really appreciative, uh, Caleb, of being able to check this album out because I can really appreciate. Um, I'm one to feel like all art is valuable. It just depends on your ability to kind of see it and appreciate it. And this was a nice ability to kind of uh, check out of my comfort zone a little bit in terms of like exploring this new tone with some relatively familiar sounds. And, um, I'll be checking them out a little bit more. I know you said that, uh, you know, you listen to the velvet underground and and no two pieces are kind of similar, but, um, I enjoyed kind of jumping into, you know, the late 1900s, uh, state of being depressed and uh, edgy in New York.
0: Yeah, I'm glad I was able to introduce you to this. Uh, I would probably recommend... What's it called? Wait, no. Oh, I, I mix up the names the entire time. The second album's called White Light, White Heat. Deadly. It's also titled Velvet Underground. That's the one you want to listen to next, because that's, that's the ballads one. Like, that's the one where they get really good at the singer-songwriter stuff, so, like... I see One's a more normal one. That's the one to listen to. I light, white heat. I would probably. No. Is it? It's it's one where it's like you know, like you say, art is valuable, but I wouldn't pay too much.
1: <laughs> Understandable. Well, all right, I'll check that one out next.
0: And thank you very much for getting me into the deeper side of Boston. And thank you, O oh Listener, for listening. Uh, the albums we listened to were Boston by Boston and The Velvet Underground by Nico by Velvet Underground. I'm Caleb Clark.
1: And I'm Zach Disparito.
0: Thanks for listening
1: to the Billy Shears Club.